Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Go For It. I am your host, Paul Gannon. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. And you can send messages to the show on Twitter at go for it G O F O R I T G A N T. Great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by one of the stars of BT's hit show, The Game, Barry Floyd. And Barry Floyd plays TT on the game, and the game is returning March 4th, Tuesday, March 4th. So it's back, and I think better than ever. Um, but it's definitely good, Season 7 starting up, and we're going to talk to Barry about it, talk to Barry about some of the differences, some of the changes on the game. There's not going to be many, but it's going to be some, and I think it's going to be very good, but we're going to talk to Barry about all that. We're also going to be joined by Tim Bay Buccaneers linebacker, Jonathan Conceas, and, and Jonathan right now, he's in a process of becoming a free agent, possibly. Uh, right now, he can still, at this point, negotiate with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of a contract, but at this point, at this point, he is with the Buccaneers, but we'll see what happens. But we're going to talk to him about his upcoming free agency, if it gets to that. He, he maybe signs with the Bucs before it all happens, but we're definitely going to talk to Jonathan about that. Also, Seattle Seahawks defensive end Greg Scruggs will be joining us. And Greg, he was on injured reserve this year for the Seahawks, but hey, he won a ring, the Seahawks won a ring, and we're going to talk to him about the run that the Seahawks had all the way to MetLife Stadium in New York City well, I should say New Jersey, same thing. But anyway, we're going to talk to Greg about all that great stuff going on. I want to start now in the National Football League. and You know, a lot of talk, and I, and I touched on this briefly uh, last week, but I'm going to touch on it more in, in detail today. The use of the N-word and the possibility that the NFL is thinking about assessing a penalty for the use of racial slurs on the field of play. And, and, and I look at that particular rule, and I say to myself, how the heck are you going to be able to police that? And the thing about this is this. In the National Football League, these refs have so much to work deal with. They have to deal with so much. I mean, with, with all the new rules in terms of the helmet to the head and in terms of those type of things, they have to deal with a lot and see a lot. Now we're, we're, we're expecting them to hear I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's this, this rule, if it goes through, it's going to be so difficult to officiate. And to be honest with you, I think it's going to be one of these type of rules if it does go through. I, I don't think this is the type of rule you'll ever see called. Because it's almost like, okay, let's just say a white player is penalized for using a racial slur. Because you've got to call out a number. So you, you, a white player is penalized for using a racial slur. What happens then? I mean, at that point, that player has to go. That player has to explain 
not only to the media and everybody else, but his teammates. And we got to remember the NFL is 70% black. So he has to explain to his teammates. So seven out of ten of his teammates are black. So he has to explain to seven out of, his, seven out of the ten teammates why he used a racial slur. He has to explain that. So it, it's, it, it just opens up a, a can of worms. I know why they're doing it. I mean, the NFL is all about PR, just like any other company, big business. But at the end of the day, you can't legislate everything. You just can't. I know, you know, you had the situation with Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin and that whole situation. I know the league is trying to be proactive in terms of trying to, to make the quote-unquote NFL workplace as professional as possible, as safe as possible. But at the end of the day, it is an NFL locker room. At the end of the day, you're on a football field. They're gladiators. They're out there to, to inflict pain on one another. And in the process of inflicting pain on one another, words are going to be exchanged. Not always going to be the best of language. It's not always going to be the King's English out there. So the reality is you're going to hear these type of things. And also you've got to take into account this. What if, if it's African-American to African-American? Now, you know, a lot of times in the black community, if I'm using the if I'm using the N word to another uh, African American, it's a uh, term of endearment. It's a term, you know, so it, it's not negative. It's an endearing term. It's called it's like calling somebody my friend. It's like calling someone. My friend. And so it's just so many variables here. And I, and I heard some good points. I mean, Herman Edwards came out and I heard him say, look, the league is 70% black. So if black players wanted to stop this word from being used, they could stop it. And I hear what he's saying, and I think it's a fair point. I really do. But at the same time, if, if you have a certain belief and your belief is that this word is a word of endearment, it's your belief that you're not causing any harm or foul by, by using this particular word, then it, it becomes tricky. It just becomes very, very tricky. And this is, it's almost like why open these, this can of worms? Why open this can of worms? It's not necessary. It really isn't. And at some point, the National Football League, you can't legislate everything. You just can't legislate everything. And it's just, I look at the NFL, man, now, and it's at the top. Everybody's, I mean, we're talking about the NFL now, and baseball's about to get started. We're in the heart of the NBA season. We're about to join the madness, March Madness with college basketball. And we're talking about the NFL, which season, whose season ended a month ago. So the NFL is king right now. The NFL is king, and everybody loves the NFL. But here is reality. When I look at the NFL, you, you start to over-legislate the game, and then you start taking away 
some of the things that makes the game what it is, what makes the game appeal to millions and millions of people. The NFL is head and shoulders above any other league here in America. Bottom line, football is king here in America. This is America's game. This is America's game, football. The ratings show it. So the NFL, whatever they touch, essentially turns to gold. But you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. And, and all these various rules that, you know, terms, I, I understand the help with the helmet thing. That's, that's a good thing. But it, it's got to be, a lot of times, you're, you're, you know, the way that the penalty has been called is it's very questionable. I mean, we can look at the Saints and 49ers game, Ahmad Brooks with the play on Drew Brees. I mean, that, cha- that, that cost the 49ers a ball game. Now, if, if Ahmad Brooks or any other player is on the field using the N-word, that's a 15-yard penalty. That's a game changer. 15 yards in the National Football League is a game changer. It's a game changer. And it's, it's, it's something that at, at some point you've you got to be careful. And I know they're trying, you know, obviously you want to be on the cutting edge of things and you want to be proactive, not reactive. And in some respect, I guess the NFL is being proactive, but at the same time they're being reactive because they're reacting to everything that's going on with the Jonathan Martin, Richie Incognito thing. And to me, you know, I look at that whole situation, obviously, I don't see that, that situation to me, it's, it's funny. I don't think a grown man can be bullied. I think a grown man can be harassed. But bullied is, 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 is to me, I look at bullying, that's something that happens in grade school, high school, middle school. Harassment, to me, is what happens or may have happened to Jonathan Martin. You know, the, the report is what the report is, the Wells report, but you do have players who disagree with the Wells report. So it is what it is. But anyway, at the end of the day, you start over-legislating things. You have what my man Melo G says, who's hitting us up on the chat room. You have the No Fun League. You have the No Fun League. And the NFL, they got to be careful. And, and I used this analogy before, and I'll, and I'll bring it back. Grandmama's cornbread. You know, it has a special recipe. It has, a, has certain ingredients that make the cornbread what it is. Now, you start messing with that recipe, taking out a little bit of sugar, not enough flour. You know, maybe you, 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 you use a different type of egg. I don't know. You start taking some of these things out, and eventually the cornbread is not going to taste the way it should. It's not going to taste the way it should. And I think that's what could happen. International Football League, if these type of things continue. If the, the over-legislation of the National Football League, that, that's what this is all about. And, and the NFL, the PR machine that it is, is doing whatever it can to, to make their game look as good as possible. I get it. I understand it. But at the end of the day, you've got to be careful. Jonathan Casillas, 
of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we're going to talk to him about his upcoming free agency, whether or not he will resign with the Bucs. So we're going to talk to him. See us. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean season. anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's that Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. We're going to bring in a guy now, John Casillas of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At this point, going through free agency, he may resign with the Bucks, may not. But we're going to talk to him about this guy. Before his injury, Jonathan Casillas was playing some pretty good football, uh, playing a lot of snaps for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tough situation in Tampa Bay last year, obviously, for anybody involved in that situation. But we're going to bring him in now. Let's bring him in now. Linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jonathan Casillas. Jonathan, how are you, man? I'm great, man. How you doing, Paul? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. Now, Jonathan, let's get right down to it. As of right now, you are a Buccaneer. You're a few days away from free agency. And reports are that the Bucs, have reached out to you, and you guys have been talking. Are you guys close to anything? Um, we're talking. I wouldn't say we're close. I wouldn't say we're far apart. We're, we're, we're talking, though. You know, um, I, I express, you know, my, uh, you know, my want to be back here. I would love to be back here and continue my career here. I think we got a, a great organization. You know, uh, I'm just, you know, getting to know the GM a little bit more. Uh, you know, but, you know, Lovey has a great track record in what he has done. And I think our defense um, is a dominant defense. You know, I think last year uh didn't go our way. You know, it was, um, uh, you know I think that that was corrected, though. I think, you know, the uh, the issue we had last year is going to be corrected moving forward. And, and I'm looking forward to that because, like you said, as of right now, I'm a Buccaneer. You know, everything I do is going to be for, for the Buccaneers as of right now. And I would like to be here. So, you know, it's just, you know, just a matter of a couple of, couple of things to move around and, and then we can get something to work on. Now you talked about Lovey Smith and, and what he's done in this league, had a lot of success with the Bears, has a lot of success as a defensive coordinator in this league. What does Lovey Smith bring to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? <clears throat> well I mean, of course he brings that uh that he's a veteran coach. You know, he's he's not a he's not a young, he's not a new coach, he's a tenured coach and you know his track record record speaks for itself. Um and defensively, you know, I'm 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 a defensive guy, you know, I always think I'm very biased when it comes to the defense. I think, you know, we don't get our due in the league, you know, especially because the offenses are so talented. I think we don't get our due credit, you know, especially right. when you get a, a defense like Seattle who goes out and dominates the number one offense in the history of America. And then, 
you know, we don't we don't really talk about the defense. But if they would have right. – uh, the Broncos would have won, you know, it would have been, oh, my God, you know, the number one uh, offense in the league, yada, yada, yada. You know, I don't think we get our fair shake, so I'm a little biased when it comes to defense. Okay, so okay. back back to Lovett. Um, you know, his, his defensive mindset, I think, fits me. Um, you know, not only my playing style, but my personality as well. And, okay. You know, that's that's okay. something, I, like, I'm very look, I'm looking forward to it. I would Like I said, I would like to be back with the Bucks, But, you know, at the end of the day, it is a business. You know, I've, I've been uh, in, in New Orleans for, you know, my first four years, and the transition of the Bucks was really smooth. I had a good year, so. You know, I, I'm not, you know, nervous about it. I'm, I'm anxious. You know, I would like to see something happen in the next few days. And um, But, you know, it is what it is. Now, I, I'm hearing a lot of people talking that you would be a good fit in Lovey Smith's Tampa 2 defense. you feel that way? Oh, definitely. Um, I think, you know, my play style, um, you know, the way I'm built and uh, my aggressiveness is, is definitely uh, a thing that, that can fit well in this defense. And, I think you can apply that to any position. I think we have a whole bunch of guys uh, in the locker room that, that fits that scheme as well. So, you know, it's not only just myself. I just see, you know, my, my guy next to me, Mason Foster and Levante David. Uh, I, I see them guys, you know, you know, being outstanding players as well. Jerry McCoy's there, you know, the two safeties. I mean, we have, we have the, you know, the potential to be a very good defense. And, um, you know, I would like to be a part of it. And as Seattle proved, defense still wins championships in the National Football League. So yes, <laughs> we're talking to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you missed the last month of the season with the knee injury. At this point, how is the knee? It's great, man. Um, I'm doing everything um, on course. I, I didn't rush anything to get back. Um, you know, the time I got hurt was, uh, you know, it was never a great time to get hurt, but, you know, it, it was a good time for me to shut everything down and, you know, let my body just, you know, heal up, you know, my neck and, you know, my shoulders do the usual, you know, toll that your body takes, and I, I relaxed for a while, and now, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, getting to where I'm almost 100%. So, uh, you know, I'm excited about that, and I'm training uh, rigorously right now. So, anybody that's, you know, if I stay with Tampa or you know wherever I go, they're gonna get a, a you know, 100%, uh, you know, heal product because uh, okay. the injury happened at such a good time, and then it was such a smooth. Uh, I had a scope on my meniscus, so it was a, such a smooth surgery. And my doctor Glasher up in New York, he's done he's done a, a couple of my other ones that I've had, and he did a great job. I was on a great protocol, and uh, you know I'm excited to you know to get out there wherever I'm at, you know next month because you know I'm very confident in in, in myself and in my legs. <laughs> now before the injury, you were getting a lot of defensive snaps and were playing some pretty good football. As a whole, you were happy with the way you played in 2013. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I think I played my best football when I was when I was playing. Um, in in last year's defense, the Sam linebacker, which at first I was splitting time with Dakota Watson, and then uh, I eventually uh, got the starting job midway during the season. And um, I think I played well in the amount of snaps I was given, and uh, and also on special teams, I think I played at a very high level. Um, I made a lot of plays. Uh, I was a leading tackler on the team. You know, even though I missed a few games. Um, you know, so I think I played really well whenever I had the chance to play. And, um, you know, that's all I could ever ask for is the opportunity. And when I give, you know, I just try to maximize the opportunity that I, I get, you know, with, with the defensive scheme that's in front of me. We're talking to Buccaneers linebacker Jonathan Casillas. And, Jonathan, from the outside looking in, 2013 was very dysfunctional. From the outside looking, it was very dysfunctional for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You had the Greg Shiano, Josh Freeman thing. You had the old Mercer thing. Was it as dysfunctional as it looked from the outside? 
Well, you know what? Uh, uh, you know, from the outside, I, I, I'm not even gonna lie. It looks like it was a you know a, a comic show going on, a freak fest going on over there. But you know what? I think um, you know being a part of New Orleans locker room for four years, we had a great locker room there, um, and you know we battled some stuff. I think the way Canaries handled the, uh, the beginning of the season was tremendous, and I and I really mean that because you know it, there was nothing going for us. There was nothing going for us. Uh, we we didn't win a game in the first two months of the season, and right. you know I, I was I was distraught by that. You know, but at the end of the day, we came to work every day, 85 degrees, 90 degrees, whatever it was, you know, outside, and you know we strapped it up every day, and we practiced hard every day of the season, and 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 that is a given. And um, at the end of the day, we ended up going you know four and four in the last eight games from an O and eight start. It's not that bad. You know, we can't do anything about you know, losing our first two months of the season. But, you know, once that ninth game hit and we, I, figure, I think we start figuring things out and really knowing our identity, and, you know, that's just a tribute to the character in the locker room. That's why I want to be a part of it again because I think we have okay. a great locker room, great character, and, and, and that could get you a long way. For sure, for sure. Going into the next season now, what is the next step for Jonathan Casillas as a player? To finish a year, if I can finish a year and, and, and start, um, you know, majority of the games, you know, I, I mean, I would like to be a 16-game starter, um, you know, but I also don't mind competing for a starting job. Uh, okay. If I can, you know, if I can start a 16-game season and stay healthy the whole season, that's the next step for me. Because I think, um, you know, whenever I do play, I think I play at a pretty good level. You know, I'm, I'm a student in the game. I like to study. I love the game. I love to play. I have fun out there. So, you know, I, I just I enjoy myself, and I know, you know, whenever I'm out there, you know, I'm going to pretty much be productive because, you know, okay. I, I'm going to be me, you know, and I think, I think um, <laughs> you know, and uh, I think, you know, I, I other teams, the Bucks, even the Saints, I think they all appreciate the way I play the game of football, you know, and um, and, and as, a, as a fan of the game, you know, being a fan of the game, I think I try to do the things the right way, you know, and uh, – and uh, and I think whoever gets me, if I'm here with the Bucks, they're gonna get a good product for me because I'm a, you know I'm gonna play my balls off. I would like to be a captain. Uh, that would probably be a next step for me. I would like to be a captain. You know I think I've you know served enough, enough time in the league to you know earn my you know my veteranship and you know I think uh, I, you know I have a voice in the locker room, especially here with the Bucks. And, you know I think that's probably the next step for me too. Now you talked about wanting to play a 16 game season. Are you doing anything different in this off season to make that a reality, to make that happen? Yeah, I'm just trying to focus in on more because I, I've been kind of paying attention to myself, um, especially the last three years in the league. I had a foot injury back in 2010, and uh, that kind of gave me a bleak uh, image of my future because it was such a, uh, a, a bad injury. Um, you know, I started tweaking everything, and, and that's just not even tweaking because it was something that I just didn't know about. So as I'm, you know, exploring, trying to just, you know, do the necessary things to take care of my body, uh, chiropractic work, I still go to New Orleans to see my old PT therapist. I went on Tuesday, um, you know, to get some extra work done. Um, and, you know, I'm doing uh, uh, supplements consistently, you know, taking my vitamins and, my, you know, everything, my glucosamines and stuff like that to help with joint uh, repair and, and, you know, just all necessary things like that, getting my massages done and, you know, not overworking, staying hydrated and just, just make sure I stay focused because at the end of the day, I think I, ha I have a recipe and I think it does work, you know, and I think 
just keep tweaking it more and more as I learn myself. That's that's what I need to do. And, you know, uh, I meet new people on a consistent basis that can help me with things. and I use them as, you know, I network with them and I help them, let them, you know, help me, you know. So, um, sure. yeah, that's about it. We're talking to Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker, Jonathan Casillas. And, Jonathan, you have a football camp coming up. Tell us about it. Well, I'm planning on doing it in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, it's my hometown when I went when I went to high school, and uh, it'll be. Uh, I, I think I'm doing the grades uh, because we wanted to do a high school and we also wanted to do um, a middle school. So it'll be it'll be sixth to eighth, and then ninth to twelfth, and um, it'll be June 21st and 22nd in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and uh, it it's going to be a unique camp because I'm also doing like a life skills where I can sit down and talk to the kids and have other guys come in, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, Mark Ingram. I hope my boy Vilma is available the weekend because I would love him to go. And just talk to the kids a little bit about the lifestyle of coming into, you know, college and coming into the NFL and what it takes to do uh, to get to where we're at. And not even on, you know, the NFL. It's just that level of professional. professional. Okay. You know, whether you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, because football, you you gain so many different transferable skills by playing it. And these are all kids that, you know, are associated with football. They're going to be kids that's going to high school to play football, in high school playing football. And, you know, as a team, you know, you get to learn a lot of things. You get to learn how to work as a team. You get to learn, uh, uh, you know, um, time management, uh, right. control, uh, discipline. You know, you learn a lot of things from the game of football. And I think – at a young age, as they're doing it, they can get lost in the in the communities that they you know that they're from. You know, New Brunswick is not a great community. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I love New Brunswick, but it has its bad parts. Excuse me, I didn't mean right. to say that. But it has its bad parts where kids from the high school I used to go to get lost. You know, and and it's like if you have an avenue to play football, you need to get as much as you can from football if you if you're gonna at least do it because you know a lot of kids they. They, they do sports and they slack in school, but try to have it where school and football is intertwined into one. It's one thing, okay. you know, and, okay. and once you can get, I think, kids going in that way, then you can give them a shot at the future because where I'm from, a lot of kids, I mean, anything is possible. I really, truly believe that. But when, you you know, you sit down and look at some of these kids, you know they have, you know, one or two ways to go. And a lot of kids choose that other way. They don't get their they don't get their degree, you know. They don't graduate. Excuse me. They don't get their diploma from high school. They don't go on to college. Um, they settle for a GED a few years later. You know, these are kids that are in gangs. You know, uh, it's in and out of halfway home, halfway houses. You know, uh, on parole, probation. You know, these are kids that I would like to get in contact with and in touch mm-hmm. with because this is where I'm from. And I think these kids are benefit the most from this. And I'll do it through football. Definitely, definitely, and that's always a good thing because the reality is, I mean, either the streets are going to get you if you're not doing what you got to do in terms of getting yourself an education. At the end of the day, you got to find a way to feed yourself, and if you're not educated, unfortunately, you do illegal things to feed yourself, and you're doing some great things in the community, and that's always a good thing. Jonathan, you're handling your business not only on the field but off the field with your company, POV52. Tell us about it. Well, you know what? It's it's I, I, you know it's it's funny because it's been on the horizon for a while, but I'm so 
I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist. I just like stuff done my way and, and how I like it. And if I don't enjoy it or it doesn't, like, you know, jump out to me, I can't really, I can't really put my stamp on it. So it's taken okay. a little while, but it's POV, it's POV 52. Um, you know, it's basically me. You know, it, it's, it's how I see things. And, and with that being said, it's how we see things. POV is going to be, you know, a full, inclusive, uh, you know, hopefully I can get fans involved and also my family members. And, you know, just I'm, I'm going to have some T-shirts out. And I'm also going to be, it's going to be behind my camp. So it's going to be POV 52 is going to be basically behind the camp. And it's going to be what POV 52 is about. So as we get, you know, uh, everything rolling and we get all our information and we're doing everything that we need to do on our end, I think we're going to figure out more exactly where it's going. Because right now it's okay. in the brainstorming stages. I hope to have something done in the next few months before we get going right. with OTA, stuff like that. And, um, mm-hmm. You know, so I can't really divulge too much information to you, Paul. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't give okay. you too much too early. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. I might steal your ideas. I mean, you know, you don't want that. So. <laughs> now, Jonathan, where can fans find out about some of all, all the great, exciting things going on with Jonathan Casillas? Where can we go to find, find out about these things? Um, I have a website. Um, it's jonathan-casillas.com. You can go on my website, and uh, I have a feed on there from um, uh, my Instagram, my uh, Facebook, and uh, also okay. my Twitter. So you can get, you can actually access all of those things through my website. And, um, you know, I'm a very active social guy, uh, social networker. You know, I'm trying to get a little more active, you know, to help help not only myself but my brand and, you know, uh, you know, show everybody I like to walk around with a smile on my face every day. Right. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, so you can go on my website, jonathan-casillas.com. Now, Jonathan, like we said, you are about to be a free agent right now. You are the property of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But but I've been reading, and, and, and I went on your Twitter page, reading your bio, your product of Exit 9, New yes, Brunswick. The New yes, York sir. Giants. New York Giants are, are in need of linebackers. Does that intrigue you at all? Uh, you know what? It, it, anything intrigued me. You know, if if um, I'm always, but I'm being honest. You know, I would like to be with the Bucks here. You know, but you know, I feel like I need to be. You know, at this point in my career, you know, I, I know how the business works. You know, so I think I got a good idea of what I think I, I I played at last year and what I what I deserve this year or whatever. You know, and 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 moving forward, you know, if some other team feels like. They understand me where I'm coming from with that more than the Bucks do. You know, at this okay. point, it's more about taking care of my family than anything else. Um, you know, I don't know how many games I got left. I don't know how much time I got left in this game. Anything can happen in a year, and that's how I how I think about it. You know, so uh, if New York, you know, likes me and I think I can fit into their defense, I would go. And that's just being honest. You know, okay. that's just being honest. It, and it would it would be great because I'm home. Um, you know, I think I'm on a mature enough level where I can handle being close to home. Um, you know, so it'll be a great it'll be a great thing. Uh, but at the same time, as of right now, I'm the Bucks. I'm all about the Bucks. I would love to be here. New York sounds great, but it's that New York is. If New York calls me, then I'll pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah, all right, as you should, Jonathan. Pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. All right, man, sounds good, man. Much appreciated. Take care. All right, boss, you too.
Jonathan Casillas, linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, you know, in, in, in talking to him, he does seem like he would. Obviously, I mean, who wouldn't want to play at home in their hometown? I mean, let's be honest. Who would not want to play in their hometown? I think all of us would love to play in our hometown. We had the opportunity. And obviously, he said maturity is a big part of that. And if you're mature enough to handle something like that, then it's a good thing. And at this point, he says he believes that he is mature enough to handle playing in his hometown. So at this point in time, I mean, if, if New York works for him and they are in need of some linebackers, so if, if that works for him, why not? I mean, but he, you get the sense that he would love to stay in Tampa and he likes what they're doing in Tampa, but at the same time you also sense that he's open for whatever. And at the end of the day, this whole thing is about taking care of your family, getting as much money as possible, and maximizing all your opportunities. And that's what Jonathan Casillas is looking to do, and that's what anybody is looking to do in the National Football League. I mean, Riley Cooper. Riley Cooper, five years, $25 million for the Philadelphia Eagles as I switch gears. Um, I look at that deal. I do think that the Eagles did overpay a little bit, um, but I also think that Riley Cooper – Along, bring, along with bringing back Jeremy Macklin, is good for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, this, this team offensively, did the Eagles struggle offensively last year? No, their problem wasn't on the offensive side of football. Their problem was what with their defense. Their defense had a lot of struggles. Their defense was bad. And their defense, I mean, it, they were worse than when they, when, when they had ended the season. They were much better than when they started. But they still really weren't all that good. So you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, their issue wasn't offense. Their issue was defense. So now you, you bring it back a Riley Cooper, and this is a Riley Cooper that we all know. We, we all know what happened with Riley Cooper and, and the whole situation in the offseason and what he did and what he said at the Kenny Chesney concert. We, we all get and all know what happened there, but he has done a great job of, of changing his name around the National Football League. He's done a great job of keeping himself clean. And at the end of the day, this league is about production. And Riley Cooper went out there and he produced. He produced. And at the bottom line is, if you can produce in this league, whether you're a racist, whether you're gay, whether you're anything in black, white, or what have you, if you can produce in this league, you're going to be in this league. And Riley Cooper produced. Riley Cooper was this close to be this close to not playing last year. This close. He was close. I mean, if Jeremy Macklin wasn't hurt, Riley Cooper may not be in Philadelphia last, last season and may not be in the league at all if Jeremy Macklin didn't get hurt. So he took advantage. He took advantage of his opportunity. And he turned it into five years, $25 million. And he's in a great offense, an offense that's going to put up, as we saw, a lot of numbers. So this is a type of offense where you can put up some numbers. This is a numbers type of offense. Deshaun Jackson put up numbers. Foles put up numbers. McCoy put up numbers. Cooper put up numbers. This offense put up numbers. So if I'm any player, this situation is very appealing to me. 
This situation is very appealing to me. Very appealing. Very appealing. And, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm on the offensive player, Riley and here's the thing about Riley Cooper, and here's why I thought maybe the Eagles did overpay, and here's why I thought maybe the Eagles probably should have seen what the market would bear for Riley Cooper. Because here's the thing. If you're Riley Cooper now, do you want to have to go into another team's locker room, another city, and, and have to try to explain yourself? Try to explain why you did what you did at the Kenny Chesney concert. Why you said what you said at the Kenny Chesney concert. Do you want to have to go to, to various cities and have to explain that? You don't want to have to go to another city and explain that. Here in Philadelphia, they know you. You know the offense. You're comfortable in the offense. You put up career-high numbers in this offense. So everything in, this, in Philadelphia works for you. Your teammates have accepted you. Mike, uh, uh, Riley Cooper needs to give Michael Vick some of that money because Michael Vick, who, can, who stepped up for Riley Cooper, if Michael Vick doesn't step up for Riley Cooper, who knows what happens? Jason Avant, he might have to take a piece of that contract that Riley Cooper got because Jason Avant stepped up for Riley Cooper. All these guys stepped up for Riley Cooper. Now, the, I mean, so that five years, $25 million, five years, $25 million, maybe a million goes to Vic, a couple million, maybe a million goes to Avant. I mean, because these guys are the reason that Riley Cooper was able to stay in Philadelphia last year. A lot of people are saying Riley Cooper needs to be cut. A lot of people say Riley Cooper shouldn't play in the National Football League in 2013. A lot of people said it. A lot of people said it. A lot of people. And I was one at the time who said, if, if Riley Cooper is a distraction to this football team, then cut him because at that point in time, heck, who knew Riley Cooper was going to put up the type of numbers that he put up? And I'm not saying Riley Cooper put up the craziest numbers. I, I'm not saying Riley Cooper had a, a – I mean, he definitely had a breakout season for him. He definitely had a breakout season. There's no doubt about it. He had a big-time year, eight touchdowns, 47 catches. What, 18 yards per catch? I mean, this guy put up numbers, and he got off to a slow start. So a lot of these numbers were, were put up in, you know, I believe the first few games he was, he was awful in terms of numbers that he was putting up. He wasn't putting up big-time numbers. Earlier in the season, I mean, let's look at it. You look at first, look at the first five weeks of the season. Two catches, 14 yards. Two catches, 25 yards. Two catches, 29 yards. Two catches, 25 yards. Zero catches in week five. And then you look at week six on against Tampa. Six catches, 120 yards, and a touch. Dallas, seven catches, 88 yards. You look at a couple of weeks later against Oakland, where he busted out for six catches, 139 yards, and three touchdowns. Following week against the Packers, he did well. 102 yards, two touchdowns. But there were games where he was quiet, even near the end of the season where he was quiet. And he had a big drop against the Saints in that playoff game. He had a touchdown, but he had a big drop, a game-changing type of drop in that game. 
He had a game-changing type of drop in that game. But at the end of the day, Riley Cooper owes a lot to Michael Vick, owes a lot to Jason Nevada. It was very fortunate that Jeremy Macklin was hurt. And I'm not saying Riley Cooper is or, or, or a racist or not a racist. I don't know. But what I saw in that video, what I saw in that video, if, if I, I thought I saw a racist. That's what I thought I saw. I mean, I, just the venom and the anger that he had. The, the, the venom and the anger that he had. And using that word, he seemed all so comfortable. And I, and I know we're all about second chances in America, and I'm about second chances, giving people a second chance. And I was for I, I was hoping that Riley Cooper would, would get another opportunity, whether it was with the Eagles or anybody else. Because I, at, at the end of the day, I can't definitively say he is a racist because of that video. Hey, the video looks like a racist. I, I, thought, I saw or, and heard a racist, but at the end of the day, I can't definitively say he is a racist. And at the end of the day, it, it comes down to this. Whether I hate you or not, I mean, we all work with people we don't like. So at the end of the day, if you can keep a professional when you need to keep a professional, and at the end of the day, if Riley Cooper can produce, then to me, it's all good. It's all good. Do what you do. Do what you do. Just don't do it around me. Do what you do. Do what you do. And let's go now. I want to switch to the New York Knicks and, and Raymond Felton. I want to switch to Raymond Felton and that whole situation. Um, obviously, you know, we, we, we heard the story. His, his wife, his estranged wife, his wife, they're in the process of getting a divorce. His wife took his gun from their apartment and turned it in to the police in New York City. And here's the one thing about guns in New York City. If your gun ain't registered in New York City, you better be careful. Because New York State, city, whatever what have you, they don't play when it comes to their gun laws. They don't play. Just ask Plaxico Barracks. They do not play. So it's, a, it's, it's obviously, I mean, you look at this situation. You look at the situation. His wife, again, they're in the process of getting a divorce, and according to a lot of reports, Raymond Felt was a guy who enjoyed himself, enjoyed the NBA lifestyle. Enjoyed the NBA lifestyle. Enjoyed it. And I look at his, his, his wife. I'm seeing pictures of her. She's a pretty girl. She is a pretty girl. Now, hey, NBA lifestyle, you, you see a lot of pretty girls. You know what I mean? So it, it's a whole other thing. I mean, yes, he has a pretty one at home, but he can go out and, get, go out and see and have ten other pretty ones. You know what I mean? That's, the, that's that NBA lifestyle. They, according to reports, Raymond Felton enjoyed the NBA lifestyle. He enjoyed it. So with all that being said, they've been married only 19 months, a pretty girl, married only 19 months, and they're in the process of a divorce. And the wife did say, Felton's wife did say that he never threatened her with the gun, but he, she did say he has held the gun during arguments in their apartment. She also told police, that he owns a bunch of other guns in North Carolina. I look at this whole situation now, and 
maybe it's a maybe it's a, she's saying that he never threatened her with the gun, but she did say that he held the gun while they were arguing. At the end of the day, I mean, here's the thing, and I don't want to call her a woman scorned, but as I read through this story, I don't know what other what what, what other thing to say. I mean, at this point in time, and obviously other reports and then, you know, that the case has to go through what it has to go through and the, all the stuff will come out at some point. But I, I, I look at it and I, I say to myself, man, you know, obviously they, they shared a department and if that happened, you got to be careful sharing an apartment with a woman that you're about to divorce, <laughs> especially if you did her dirty, especially if you're, uh, you know, out and about around town doing what you do. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. So I look at this situation at this point, and obviously the facts are what they are, and the facts will continue to come out. But Raymond Felton could be in some trouble. He, he could be in some trouble. New York State is the wrong state to get in trouble with a gun. The wrong state. The wrong state. I mean, Plaxico Burris, his gun was registered in another state. He shot himself and did two years. So that, that's all you need to know about the gun laws in New York City. They don't play. They do not play. And I, I look at, here's the thing. And I know, you know, she says he's held the gun during arguments, but she said he never threatened her. Here's the thing. And I know you don't like the men. I know you guys are going through what you're going through. But to me, even if you have a level of love for a person, I'm not saying in love, but I'm saying love for a person. If you have a level of love for a person, would you do this? Would you, would you, would you take the gun to the police and say, look, he has this gun? He's never threatened me with this gun, but he has used this gun or held this gun during arguments. Like, would you, would you, would you, would you do that? Would you do that? I mean, this is, this is, a, I mean, I just look at this situation and, and I see it as avoidable. You know what I mean? I see the situation as avoidable. Now you, you, you have a guy now who could do, he could do some time. He could do some time. And the reality is, it's all because on some level, if, if she doesn't take that gun to the police, does anything come of this? Now, who knows? Who knows? We don't know. If he's bringing out guns during arguments, who knows? Eventually, he could use it. Who knows? But I, I think this situation, this story, I think a part of it is is might be a woman scorned. Part of it could be a woman scorned. And I just don't think you know. Even if you you're you're not in love with a person, you're going through a divorce with a person. And I've never been through a divorce, so I, you know I'm just speaking from whatever, whatever point of view I'm speaking from. But the thing is, the thing is, 
that gun was taken to the police. It wasn't like he was out and about with the gun and he got pulled over or something. No, that gun was taken from their apartment to the police. The gun laws in New York City are no joke. Don't. Don't. If, I mean, Darren Williams said it. He doesn't bring his gun into New York City. He doesn't bring his gun into New York. He knows better. Those gun laws are crazy. Not saying they're good, not saying they're bad, but I know you get caught with a gun in New York City, you're going to pay. But you look at this whole Knicks season, and it's been a mess. It's been an absolute failure. There's no getting around it. The Knicks season has been a failure. This was a team, what, 54 games last year they won? And this is a team, look. You look at this team. You look at the Eastern Conference. The eighth seed has 26 wins. The eighth seed of the Atlanta Hawks are 26 and 31. Heck, the seventh seed at Charlotte Bobcats are 27 and 31. If you can't get to the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, something is wrong. Unless you're Orlando, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, or Boston, I mean, Philadelphia's tanking, Milwaukee stinks, Orlando stinks, Boston stinks. I mean, unless you're those teams, every other team, Knicks, Pistons, and uh, Cavaliers, they're trying to make the playoffs. Boston, Orlando, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, they're trying to tank. That's a tanking situation in Philadelphia and Orlando and Boston and Milwaukee. But New York, Detroit, and Cleveland actually want to make the playoffs. They want to make the playoffs. They want to. And I look at the whole situation with the New York Knicks. I look at this situation. This team has been a failure. I know Tyson Chandler went down for some time, J.R. Smith. I know he went down for some time. But this is essentially the same team that they had last year, minus Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd brought some leadership to that team and did play well, minus Kurt Thomas, Camby, and Rasheed Wallace. And they got some decent minutes from those guys. They had a veteran presence in that locker room. But the Knicks now, I mean, 23 and 35, excuse me, 21 and 38, Six games behind the Atlanta Hawks for the eighth and final spot in the Eastern Conference. Lost five in a row. I don't know how Mike Woodson survives. Obviously, he'll make it through the season, but I don't know how he will survive. I don't know how he does it. Those boys last year, the the, the Knicks, and what they brought to the table last season and what they did last season, I mean, a lot of people thought the New York Knicks had – I remember we had, Ray, we had Raymond Felton on the show last summer. And, you know, Magic Johnson tweeted out after they, they brought in Metal World Peace that the Knicks are championship, our championship caliber team. Magic Johnson tweeted that out. Raymond Felton felt the same way about this team. I mean, so there was a lot of hope for this team. There was a lot of hope for this team. A lot of people thought the Knicks were a team that could compete in the Eastern Conference. A lot of people thought it. A lot of people. And now, this season at this point in time, the Knicks probably won't make the playoffs. And they may have another problem. They may have another problem. 
Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony. He's going to be a free agent. He can opt out, and he will. And if you're Melo, I mean, Melo's putting up some numbers. He's putting up numbers. If you're Melo, would you want to return to the New York Knicks? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this roster, and this roster is – this roster – for what I see, it's not very appealing. If you're Carmelo Anthony at this point in time, if you're mellow, you obviously want to win. You're 29 years old. You're going to be 30. So now at this point, putting up all those numbers that you're putting up, you're putting up big numbers, and, 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 and you're putting up, you're having a big-time season. As always, you're one of the best scorers in this league, one of the best pure scorers in this league, maybe the best pure score in this league. You're averaging 28 points, eight rebounds, three assists. You're putting up numbers, but all in vain. At some point, you want to win. And I look at this Knicks situation last year, it looked like it was a decent situation. This year, it's been awful. It's been awful. If you're Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, would you want to come back to this? Would you want to come back to the Knicks the way they are presently constructed? This team, who do you have on this roster that, that is appealing? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just looking at this roster. Who do you have on this roster that's appealing? I mean, I look at Tim Hardaway Jr., a guy who seems to have a lot of potential. Shumpert, we've been waiting for his, his potential, and we have not seen it. J.R. Smith, he's crazy. He's up and down. He's volatile. He's crazy. He's playing with people's shoelaces. Amari Stoudemire, in and out of the lineup with injuries. Kenya Martin, in and out of the lineup with injuries. Andrea Bargnani was a bust for the Knicks. I look at this roster. Other than Tyson Chandler and Tim Hardaway Jr., everybody else to me is, is not – Players that you can win with. Those are, not, those are not players that you can win with. You can't. One of the reasons that he came to New York was because of his wife. And I know she was on um, one of those shows on, uh, I forgot the show it was, but she, she said that she believes that you know he will be in New York and she wants to stay in New York. She's from New York. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. Who's making the money in the family? Who's making the majority of the money in the family? That's Mello. Mello's making the majority of the money in the family. So since Mello is making the majority of the money in the family, the family should go where the man, the, the breadwinner is. The family should go where the breadwinner is. And, I'm, you know, Lala's doing her thing as well, but she ain't doing it the way Mello's doing it. So the family needs to follow the breadwinner. And the breadwinner is Carmelo Anthony. Maybe. The family follows him to Los Angeles with Kobe Bryant. Maybe they follow him to Miami with LeBron James in that. Who knows? But this offseason is going to be interesting. Wade, Botch, LeBron, Melo, all these guys can opt out. All these guys can opt out. So you look at all that. This is going to be fun in the summer. This is going to be a fun summer in New York City, in Miami, 
and all around in Los Angeles, all around this league. It's going to be fun. But I, I, I said this a long time ago. When Melo even decided to leave Denver, it was kind of dumb because when he went to Denver, ultimately they had he should have just waited to the end of the year. But ultimately, they went through the whole thing they went through, and ultimately they traded Melo to New York, and you stripped New York of all their assets. I mean, you took everybody. You, you took everybody. Gallinari. I mean, before the injury, he was putting up big-time numbers. Big-time numbers for the Denver Nuggets. He was putting up some numbers for the Nuggets. Wilson Chandler, a guy they traded. Moskov, I mean, they, they, they depleted their roster in that trade, and Melo probably would have been better off waiting. Should have been better, might have been better off waiting. So, Melo, I think, may, I, I thought Melo should have stayed in Denver and, and tried to build around the situation. And I know he didn't want to be in Denver. He's an East Coast boy. He's an East Coast guy. He didn't want to be in Denver. So, I look at that situation with Carmelo Anthony now. I mean, the question was, I saw a lot of people asking this question, do you feel sorry for Melo? Well, in some respect you do, in some respect you don't. Because he got what he wanted. He wanted to come to New York. So he got that. That's what he wanted. So he got what he wanted. He made his wife happy. And in the process made himself happy because he wanted to be in New York. So, so he's happy. He made himself happy. He got what he wanted. I think this is the, the, the ultimate thing that we, we talk about sometimes in life. Be careful what you wish for. Because what you wish for may not be what you need or what you should have. And Mello longed to go to New York City. Mello longed to go to New York City. He got what he wanted. And unfortunately for Mello, it worked out. It worked out last year, 54 wins, making it to the second round, ultimately losing to the Indiana Pacers in six. Okay, that worked out. That worked out. So you thought, okay, the next step for the New York Knicks, Eastern Conference Finals and beyond. That was the next step. No one expected the New York Knicks at this point of the season, at this point of the season, 59 games into the season, no one expected the New York Knicks to be 21-38, 17 games below five hundred. If you don't make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, you're a bad basketball team. And, and, and quite frankly, even if you do make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, looking at some of the teams that, that are ahead of the Knicks and the Pistons and the Cavaliers, even if you make it to the, to the, to the playoffs, you're still a bad basketball team if you're five games under 500, which the Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Falcon, not the Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Hawks are, or four games under 500, which the Charlotte Bobcats are. So, at the end of the day, it doesn't take much to make it to the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. But the Knicks are a bad basketball team, 17 games under 500. Who do you blame? Blame Woodson. Blame J.R. Smith. 
blame the injury of Tyson Chandler. At the end of the day, the Knicks are a bad basketball team. Second hour go for it starts right now. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Pauly G and Jeremy. Get it! We're back. Second hour, Go For It starting right now. In this hour, we're going to be joined by one of the stars of BET's hit series, The Game, Barry Floyd. Barry's going to be joining us talking about the upcoming season. Barry's a Philadelphia guy. And as we all know, what's going to happen in Philadelphia tonight, the retiring of the great Allen Iverson, the retiring of the jersey of the great Allen Iverson, is going to happen tonight in Philadelphia. So we're going to talk to Barry about that. Um, and we're going to also, also talk to him about the upcoming season, upcoming season excuse me, of BET's hit series, the game. And let's, let's, let's talk about Allen Iverson, and the, the great Allen Iverson, getting his number retired by the Philadelphia 76ers. I look at this, and, and, and Allen Iverson, you know, obviously one of my – I'm a Philadelphia guy, and Allen Iverson is one of my favorite players of all time, maybe my favorite, and for a lot of reasons. He played every game like it was his last. He was an underdog in, in some sense, 5'10". He's listed as six, six foot, but many people believe he's 5'10", 5'11", 165 pounds, soaking wet, and he still found a way to, to – Getting, get into the teeth of the defense, get into the lane. I mean, the way he attacked the basket, you would think he was 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you know, 200-plus pounds. I mean, this guy, he played hurt. And, you know, you could talk about all the other things. And obviously he was a guy who wasn't perfect. Obviously he was a guy who wasn't good with his money. Obviously he was a guy who didn't like to practice. We're talking about practice. But at the end of the day, he was a gamer, the ultimate gamer, the ultimate gamer. He was a guy that you knew who would give his best for 40-plus minutes a night. You knew he was going to give you his all. Probably the greatest little scorer in the, game, in the history of this game, the greatest scoring little man in the history of this game, Allen Iverson. And you look at the 2000. 2001 Philadelphia 76ers team. This was a team that had no business making it all the way to the NBA Finals. Have you looked at the? And here's the thing. Yes, it was difficult for the Philadelphia 76ers to find talent to surround Allen Iverson. But at the same time, at the same time, people say Allen Iverson didn't make people better. He made Aaron McKee better, got him paid. He made Eric Snow better, got him paid. I mean, he made guys better. That's kind of, to me, that's kind of a misconception about Allen Iverson. He did make guys better. Aaron McKinney, sixth man of the year award winner in 2001. I mean, Eric Snow, not the most talented point guard, but it worked. 
for the Philadelphia 76ers because he was a big-time defender. He was a lunch pail type of guy. He deferred to Allen Iverson. You know, Tyrone Hill, George Lynch. He made George Lynch a better player. After George Lynch left Philadelphia, we heard about him? No. Aaron McKee, after he left Philly, did we hear about him? No. Eric Snow, do we really? I mean, he did some things with Cleveland, got that team. Well, with LeBron James, got to the NBA Finals. But did we really hear anything about Eric Snow? No. Even Theo Ratliff. After Theo Ratliff left the Philadelphia 76ers. I know he had issues with injuries and everything, but did we really hear anything about Theo Ratliff? I mean, he was being talked about during that 2000, 2001 year as being, what, the defensive player of the year if he didn't get hurt. So we really, my point is, people say that Allen Iverson didn't make players better. And I look at the guys that he played with in 2000 and 2001, and I saw guys who were better players playing with Allen Iverson. I mean, let's look at Theo Ratliff. Theo Ratliff's four best years, 97, 98, 11 points, seven rebounds per game. 98, 99, 11 points, eight boards a game. 99, 2000, was that, I'm sorry, 2000, 2001, 12 points a game, eight rebounds, including three blocks a game, 3.7 blocks per game. After he left Philadelphia, Theo Ratliff, eight points a game, eight points a game, seven points per game, eight points per game, seven points per game, four points per game, four points per game, two points per game, four points per game, six points per game, three points per game. And so he didn't do anything. After he left Philadelphia, Theo Ratliff didn't do anything. And you say Allen Iverson doesn't make players better. You, you say Allen Iverson doesn't make players better. I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know what you're talking about. I look at Aaron McKee. Aaron McKee, before he came to the Sixers, his, his highest output in terms of points per game was 10 points per game, his second season in the league when he was with the Trailblazers. His greatest output in terms of points per game happened in 2000-2001. His greatest out- output, actually, I'm sorry, was the following year, 2001-2002. But in 2000-2001, that's the year he won the Sixth Man of the Year award. But his greatest output was 12 points per game with Allen Iverson. I mean, he averaged double figures in consecutive seasons playing with, guess who, Allen Iverson. After that, he went to the Lakers. He was nothing. He, he was nothing. 0.5 points per game, 2.2 points per game with the Lakers. And you say Allen Iverson doesn't make players better. I don't know what you're talking about. Let's look at Eric Snow. Let's look at Eric Snow. Eric Snow was on the bench, stuck behind Gary Payton in Seattle before Larry Brown rescued him and brought him to the Philadelphia 76ers. Eric Snow's best season before playing with the great Allen Iverson. The part of Eric Snow's numbers going up was he had the opportunity uh, to actually get some more minutes. In Seattle, he was stuck behind the great Gary Payton. But, but 
Eric Snow's best games, best seasons were with playing with Allen Iverson. 12.1 points per game, 12.9 points per game, and 10.3 points per game from 2000 to 2003 playing with, guess who, Allen Iverson. What happened after that? He went to Cleveland, four points per game, 2004, 2005, 2005, 2006, 4.8 points per game, 2006, 2007, 4.2 points per game, and 2007, 2008, his final season in the league, one point per game. And they say Allen Iverson does not make players better. I just gave you three players, Theo Ratliff, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow. These guys all thrived with Allen Iverson. And the question is, and we say it over, I'll say it again, I said it once, I'll say it twice, Allen Iverson does not make players better. I say otherwise. I say otherwise. This guy, greatest scoring little man of all time, I know he's had the issues with that. His career should have been longer. Part of that was him. Good part, of, good part of that was him. It wasn't necessarily talent. It was, you know, I don't want to come off the bench. You know, I, I don't want to do that. You know, it was all that. It was all the other stuff with Allen, with Allen Iverson. But at the end of the day, he, does, he has made players better. He has made players better. And... Eric Snow got paid because of Allen Iverson. Aaron McKee got paid because of Allen Iverson. Ratliff got paid because of Allen Iverson. All these guys got paid because of the greatness of Allen Iverson. And you say he doesn't make players better. Tonight, his jersey goes up to the rafters, along with Moses Malone, Mo Cheeks, Julius Irvin, to name a few, great Sixers over the years. He deserves it. His career was big time. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And this guy, say what you want about him. I'm not saying he's obviously not perfect. He's obviously had some issues, had some issues with alcohol, had an issue, you know, ultimately him and his wife split. The judge called him the worst father ever. So he's had some of those issues off the, off the, uh, off the court. But I, I, I look at Allen Iverson. He's made people better, believe it or not. He's had a great run. And he almost it's almost like it shouldn't be this way. It's almost like he still should be playing. I feel like going too soon. But the analogy that I brought up with Allen Iverson and, when, and I talk about Terrell Owens is the analogy I'll bring back. At some point, you were the pretty girl in the club, the young pretty girl in the club that everybody loved and adored. They dealt with you because you were pretty, not because they necessarily wanted to, not because they liked to, but they dealt with you because of what you brought to the table. They loved what you brought. And then that woman, eventually she gets older, and she gets older, and she gets older, but she never changes. She gets older, and she still never changes. Her looks are not the same. Her looks go down. They're not the same. 
as, as her looks go away, the amount of people that want to deal with her go away. That's the reality of the situation with Allen Iverson. That's the reality of the situation with Terrell Owens. Who wants to deal with it? Who will want to deal with that situation? Who will want to deal with those guys? Why? Why would you want to deal with those guys? Why? They're not as pretty as they once were. Because of that, no one wants to deal with them. No one. And that's what happened to Allen Iverson. That's what's happening to Terrell Owens, the pretty girl who got old but never changed, never got better as a person. And the looks, which was their home, which was their calling card, got worse. And that's what happened with Allen Iverson. It is what it is. And you you didn't want to see Allen Iverson go out the way he went out. But at the end of the day, if you, if you do some of the things that he did and you weren't willing to, to take a back seat, if you will, come off the bench, if you weren't willing to do that, at some point people around the league have no use for you. You become useless to them. They don't want to deal with you anymore. They don't have to deal with you anymore. Because you bring what you brought to the table is not the same than what you used to bring to the table. It's not the same. And Allen Iverson, Terrell Owens, these guys, unfortunately, never changed. And unfortunately, that's why their careers ended prematurely in my mind. We're going to bring now a guy who's doing big things on BET's hit series. The game, it's coming on March 4th, 10 o'clock Eastern time on BET. Make sure you check it out. Let's bring him in now, one of the stars of BET's hit show, The Game, The One, The Only, Barry Floyd. Barry, how are you, man? Hey, what's going on, Paul? How are you? Okay, hey, I'm real good. How about you? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me, as always. Season 7 of the game starting up Tuesday on BET. I've been watching the promos, man. I'm pretty excited. I know you can't tell us all, but what can we expect? Well, for me, this is this is an exciting season for me personally because you get to see TT go through some, some rough times. He gets into a little financial trouble with the club trust. And you get okay. to see him at a very low point in his life where everything's just going wrong and okay. he has to, you know, cope with that and deal with it. And for me, that's a really big deal because I get to be more dramatic than I've been in the past. You know, they've given me little moments here and there when I got to be a dramatic actor. Okay. But this season I get to do it a lot more because you start, you get to see the whole, you know, I'm not in the premiere, but by episode two, when you see me, I'm kind. Of, my troubles are kind of just starting. But then by right. the finale, you know, I'm I'm at rock bottom. You know, so okay. you you just get to see PC uh, just go through it, and I was very excited to get to to uh, display those emotions. And just to, you know, as an actor, you get known for doing one thing, so it's nice to be able to show the industry that you can do more than just that one thing. Right now, I feel like. 
the industry sees me as a comedic actor. So I'm hoping that this season will introduce them to me as a dramatic actor. Now, how confident are you as a dramatic actor? I know you, the comedy thing comes kind of easy for you. How 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 is it for you as a dramatic actor? Um, I think it comes a little easier, actually, because comedy is hard. Okay. okay. You know, um, because uh, comedy is a very objective thing. You never know who's going to find what funny. You might think something's hilarious, and somebody standing right next to you might not get it. So it's very hard to be universally appealing from a comedic standpoint. But as far as dramatic, being dramatic, everybody goes through drama. Everybody's been through something. <laughs> True. So it's a little True. easier for people to relate to drama, I think. For sure, for sure. And you look at this season, you got some game changers. Brittany Daniel, who plays Kelly on the show, she's coming back. And obviously you got that interesting dynamic with Jason and Chardonnay, Brandy, uh, who is Chardonnay on the show. Tell us what that means, bringing Kelly back to the show. Well, it's exciting for the fans because, um, you know, we lost we lost Kelly for a while. We lost, um, uh, I'm sorry, Brittany is her real name. And we lost Pooch and Tia. So it's not, and right. people have always, every, ever since they left, people just keep asking, oh, are they coming back? Are they coming back? So it's very exciting to finally be able to say, yes, somebody's coming back. If you get to see this person again. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And, and I, think it's, I think it's great because, you know, obviously with the dynamic with, with Jason and Chardonnay and, and Kelly, it's going to be obviously an interesting dynamic. It's good for the show. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, too. Glad you brought that up. He has that, that love triangle because he had to, he made, he's married to Brandy now, and now his right. ex-wife and the mother of his, his daughter is coming back into the mix. And I looked at last season's show, and everybody, the talk was, okay, Pooch Hall, Darwin, and, and Tia Mowry, who played Melody on the show, they're gone now. But I, I like the new additions of Blue, Jay Ellis, and, and Kira, Lauren London. I thought it brought a fresh type of energy to the show. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. Because first, they're two, they're two really good actors. Right. Um, and it's still it's interesting because they still have that Pooch and Tia dynamic. But because they're not Pooch and Tia, they're you know, two completely new characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get to inject a little bit of something, just a little something different because, just, oh, man, I'm sorry, I'm driving, almost ran a red light. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, because they're two different characters, you get these new avenues to explore, even though you're technically still dealing with the same dynamic, you know, the, the back and forth with the relationship, you still get the, the, new, the new avenues to explore because you've got some new, um, two new characters in the mix. And, you know, uh, people, I guess, you know, fans understandably had their concerns about them because they replaced two very um, loved characters that were already established. But they've come sure. in and they, they've earned their spot, in my opinion. I think they've done a, sure. a great job. Definitely, definitely. And it brought fresh energy, and it was just a newer storyline. So I thought it definitely worked well. We're talking to one of the stars of BET's hit series, the game, Barry Floyd. And the game premieres on Tuesday, March 4th, 10 o'clock Eastern time on BET, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on BET. And I've been watching the promos on BET, and, and I'm seeing this, this whole chessboard thing going on. Give us an idea what that's all about. Well, um, they want to play on the idea that life is a game. Okay. You know, because this show is always about, you know, it's not – 
uh, on the surface, it's about the game of football, but really it's about the game of life. It's about, you know, the way everybody's life off of the field, really. Because you don't really, if you think about it, um, you don't really get to see that much actual football, but you get to see the lives of the people in the game. So I think they're they're just uh, playing off of that, um, uh, kind of a pun on that, you know. Right. And also Definitely. because, you know, chess is, a, chess is a deep game. It's a strategic game. And, you know, after seven years, um, the game has gotten a lot deeper and a lot heavier than it used mm-hmm. to be because we used to be a lot a lot more happy-go-lucky than we are now. You know, we've gotten a lot more dramatic over the years. Right. Chess is a grown man's game, you know, where checkers might be a kind of a kid's game. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I, so I like that idea of how chess, as, as, a, as, a, as a theme, shows how we've grown over the years. Definitely. Definitely. And the show has grown, and I think it's going to be a great, great season seven. We'll go back to the game for a moment, but you're a Philly guy, and, and I want to get your take on Allen Iverson. His number is getting retired by the Philadelphia 76ers. Do you have a, a, a favorite Allen Iverson moment? Is there one moment that sticks out for you? Yeah, in the, in the finals, I think it was game one against the Lakers in 2000. Okay. When uh, Teron Lue was guarding him, and he hit it, he did it, did a move. Teron Lue fell over, he hit a three, and then he stepped over him. That's my favorite moment. Not only my favorite AI moment, but that's like a top ten NBA moment for me. For sure, for sure, definitely, definitely. I mean, that was uh, it's so many AI moments, and that that one sticks out, I think, to a lot of people because of you know the stage, which is the NBA Finals, and. Just the move. I mean, it was a was ridiculous type of move, and he just stepped over him, like you know, like he was yeah. a piece of trash. <laughs> and that, so uh, that, means- that was uh, that was a big that was a big deal for us. That was a, a good time in Philly because I was uh, sure. I was going to Temple at the time. We had the All Star game come to town during that time. Um, you know, I had the braids. That was my heyday when I had the braids, and I so I had the Iverson jersey out because you know everybody's wearing those throwback jerseys. For sure. But I wouldn't buy any other team. I only bought Sixers jerseys, so I had a bunch of Iverson jerseys. So that was, that was a good time. That's the time I'm going to tell my grandkids about. And that was a fun time. And you, you were still at Temple. I just left Temple uh, around you know the Iverson era. Well, that around the NBA Finals time. So yeah, I mean that was definitely a great time in Philadelphia and. Talking about the Sixers now, this is a team, obviously, that stinks. And as a Philadelphia 76ers fan myself, I, I like it. It's a great thing because this team is finally blowing this whole thing up and looking towards the future. You like the direction of the Sixers at this point? Yeah, um, I think the, the future looks bright for them because uh, they got uh, my man uh, Michael Carter-Williams. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, they got a uh, who's the guy that didn't play this season that they got kind of in the way? Oh, uh, uh, Noel, Maryland's Noel. Yeah, and then hopefully we're going to get a good lottery pick. So for sure, um, you know the future looks bright. Unfortunately, the present doesn't look that great, but I think the future looks bright. For them. It, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, I, you got to lose sometimes to get better, and that's what the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers doing right now. It's a great thing. Great thing, great time to be a Sixers fan, I believe. It really is because they are really looking towards the future, and they finally have a plan. We're talking to one of the stars of BET's hit series, The Game, Barry Floyd. And Barry, let's look at the NBA right right now. Battle for the MVP: LeBron James, Kevin Durant, 
Tell me who you got. Who's the MVP? I like Durant, man. I like what he did while Westbrook was hurt. Basically put the whole team on his shoulders. Um, and I'm a big Durant fan. I've been a, I've been a Durant supporter since since day one. So I'm always I might be a little biased because I've I've been on his his bandwagon for a while. But I got to go with Durant. I agree. I mean, he's leading the league in, in scoring. And I think to your point, when you talk about how he kept that ship moving when Westbrook went out, I mean that to me kind of clinched it for me because they it kept they kept the ship moving and they were the, you know the best record in basketball. So. And all that is because of the greatness of Kevin Durant. Now, let's go back to you now. As an actor, we see you, as you said, we're going to see the more dramatic side of Barry Floyd this season on the game. And at this point, you've been in this game about seven years. You kind of accidentally became an actor. You, you went to Hollywood to be a writer, and you messed around and became an actor, and you're doing big things as an actor. At this point in time, where are you as an actor? Where do you see yourself as an actor? Um... Well, I like to always say when I, when I booked my role in the game, I was a rookie. And, you know, I, was, I, was, I got lucky. I caught a very lucky break. So um, I, was, I was just originally just happy to be there. I was so happy to be there. I, you know, I was just ecstatic. You know, words couldn't describe it. Now, after a few years, instead of looking at it as a break that I caught, I started to look at it as a job, as my career. Right. That's something that I'm really going to be able to build on in the, in the future. So now I'm definitely a veteran. I'm someone who's um, earned my spot there. You know, I, you know, instead of just being lucky to be there, I feel like now I deserve to be there because I've, okay. I've grown as an actor and I've really brought something to the role of T.T., you know, where he, he's a fan favorite, you know, and he just started off sure. as kind of a one-off character who was just going to say a couple of jokes and leave the room, and I was able to build that into something more into something bigger than what it started as. And I'm, I'm very lucky because I got, you know, a lot of the lessons I learned and a lot of the, um, you know, I basically learned how to be an actor on the job, whereas a lot of people learn how to be an actor and then they go out and try to book a job. You know, okay. so I, I was very lucky in that respect. I got to learn in the field. So you started from the bottom, now you're here. Exactly. And you're doing big things. And last we talked, you, you were in the process of developing a sketch comedy show, The Purple Stuff. What's going on with the purple stuff at this time? Well, we did we did uh, we did about three seasons of purple stuff. They're all up on YouTube. Okay. Now I'm still working with that team, but we're doing a we're writing a pilot right now. Where basically we we've been like uh, the show Girls on HBO. We were okay. watching that, and we were noticing how women have over the years they've had a lot of shows where you've gotten to see. They've got, you know, women get to be honest on TV about what it's like to be a woman, you know, about the dating scene and, and what it's like trying to, you know, be a professional and, you know, all that sex, all that type of stuff. Men don't really have a lot of those shows. We have a lot of fantasy shows. We get shows like Entourage where, you know, like the fantasy of being an actor in L.A. and, you know, living that life. So we wanted to do a show that realistically looked at, realistically and honestly, looks at what it's like to be a man and, and, you know, just dating and everything like that. And just, you know, just an honest, unapologetic look of what that life is like. Okay. That's where we're starting from with this pilot. So um, that's what I'm doing with the Purple Stuff team right now. Okay. Okay. And I know last time we talked to you, 
speaking of relationships and all that good stuff, you were in a relationship. You're still in a relationship now? Yeah. Yeah, I've been making that work. <laughs> and it's been, you know, it's funny because I used to ask people, um, you know, I'm not married yet, but I would ask people who are married, like, oh, you know, what's it like? You know, you've been in a relationship for a long time, and they always say, oh, man, it's a lot of work. It's so much work. So that, that, that made me feel like, oh, I'll probably never get into a serious relationship because that doesn't sound like any fun. It's a, a bunch of work. But um, I've been in this relationship for um, about five years now, and okay. I, I wouldn't describe it as work, as work at all. It's been a lot of fun because we just it, managed it is, to get each other. It, it is a lot of work being married. I've, I've been in the game for a minute now. It, it is a, <laughs> a lot of work. It, it truly is a lot of work. But, I mean, at this point, you're still dating. So once you cross over, you know, then the work, I guess, will come in. But, it, I mean, maybe not. I mean, maybe you, you, you found the right person in terms of making it easy for you and not as much work as another man. I don't know. So when's the wedding? I don't know. Don't, don't start talking like that. <laughs> I hope she's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> now, what else is going on with Barry Floyd? We, we got the purple stuff. We got, we got uh, the game. What else is going on? Um, I'm just out here on the Hollywood grind, man. It's a lot of work every day. Uh, I just left a, a development meeting because I um, I bought into a production company called Dumbbell Productions that a friend of mine started, and we're looking to make our our mark in reality TV. So um, we're just talking about shows and saying we got a couple meetings coming up with Spike TV and Oxygen and uh, a couple other networks. So I got that going on. Also, um, a couple of guys in Atlanta that want to do a movie with me as the lead. I can't talk too much about that. But uh, if all goes well and we get the budget together, we should start shooting that in the spring. It's going to be a movie that's dealing with the hair industry, you know, black people in the hair industry. Uh, okay. and it's inspired by Chris Rock's documentary, Good Hair. All right, all right. So that's all I can say about that now because we we got a few things in the work, but it's But if all goes well, you'll be hearing me talk about that a lot more in the near future. Okay, okay. So a lot of great things going on with Barry Floyd right now. Barry, I know you're on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? I'm at Barry underscore Floyd, B-A-R-R-Y underscore F-L-O-Y-D. That's my same handle for Instagram also. And uh, if you want to friend me on Facebook, it's just my real name, Barry Floyd. Okay, okay. So fans... Check this man out. He's doing big things on the game, and the game is coming back. It's back Tuesday, March 4th on BET, 10 o'clock Eastern time on BET. Make sure you check it out. That's 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on BET. Make sure you check this man out. It's going to be a big-time season on the game. Big-time season? Always, always. Best season ever? Yeah, okay. <laughs> They're all good. See, I don't want to say this season's going to be better than last season because last season I was saying that last season was the best ever. Okay. But um, actually, yeah, actually I thought last okay. season was one of the best ever. To be honest with you, I really did. I thought it was a lot of fresh energy and it was a lot of fresh storylines. I thought it was. I thought it was the best season ever, and I think this season's going to surpass it because of the dynamic of Kelly. I think everybody I talked to. Kelly, everybody misses Kelly, and having her back, I think, is really going to make the game season seven very interesting. Yeah, people are excited about that, man. And um, it's funny because since I'm on the inside, you know, sometimes you forget 
until you get around fans of the show that don't work with you, just how much excitement is built around it. You know, and as the, as the premiere has been getting closer, people have been coming up to me all the time. But everybody's excited for it. So that, that's always good to see, man, because when you're on set, it's just a one-way street. You don't really know um, what people are thinking about the work you do until you get out into the world and start interacting with people and you start getting feedback from people on the street. So I, sure. I'm excited about it. I can't wait. So the streets are talking. That's always a good thing. Always a good thing. Barry, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Definitely, always. And um, thanks for having me once again. Because you're, you're, uh, I do interviews with people all the time, but I've been, you're pretty consistent. Every season I'm on with you. So um, can't sure. wait for, hopefully there's season eight so we can do it again. For sure, definitely. Appreciate it, man. All right, thanks a lot. Barry Floyd, one of the stars of BT's hit series, the game and the game airs Tuesday, March 4th on BET, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Check it out on BET. It's back and better than ever. The game, BET, Barry Floyd. Support some of the great things going on with Barry Floyd. Darren Sharper now. Um, word came down that the NFL Network has officially fired him, and that's not really a surprise at this point. He was uh, He was suspended. But they have officially fired him. A um, bunch of different allegations being thrown at him in New Orleans, in California, all over the country. It seems with with Darren Sharper and, and you know these these sexual assaults, rape, rape allegations, and things of that nature. I mean, obviously, it's a big time fall for Grace. You know, and and at this point, innocent until proven guilty. But I mean, there are a lot, a lot of complaints out there. And, um, you know, everybody, if everybody's complaining, must be something to it. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, it's still, at this point in time, it's still uh, innocent until proven guilty. But it doesn't look good. It just doesn't look good for Darren Sharper. But he has been officially fired from the NFL Network, and that's not surprising. I mean, and the, you're waiting for that other shoe to drop. So... And, I mean, this guy was was busy and busy doing possibly some wrong things, allegedly some wrong things. I mean, uh, no arrest warrant was issued for him after, you know, he's being charged with raping two women in New Orleans. This is on the heels of things going on in California. And... It's shocking. I mean, obviously, you don't know these people. You know, you, you see them from afar, but I, I think I talked about this last week, but he's seemingly a decent-looking guy. And you, you would think, working for the NFL Network and a former NFL player, you would think he wouldn't have to go through all this just to be with a woman, just to, to, to have a good time with a woman. You, you wouldn't think that would, he would have to do all that. And... He does and has, according to those reports. Well, it's all allegations at this point, but these allegations are, are are starting to pile up, and these allegations seem very convincing. A lot of smoke, a lot of smoke right now with Darren Sharper. And I hope he has a good lawyer, which I believe he does. 
But is he, he's going to need it to be able to beat all this. I mean, I, I don't know how he's going to do it. I got to be honest with you. I don't. I don't know how he's going to do it. I really don't. But it's official. He has been fired by the NFL Network. I want to go to baseball now and a new rule with the collisions at the plate. And this is a rule that they're experimental rule they're going to be using for 2014. Um, the new rule does allow for runners to initiate contact if the catcher has the ball and is blocking the plate. So the rule does allow for contact in that instance. So you still have the collision at the plate on some level. Um, But it does prevent catchers from blocking the plate when they don't have the ball. As I'm reading through this, as I'm reading through it, it's going to be very different. See, and, and A.J. Brzezinski brought up a, a great point as I'm reading this article. Quote, it puts the umpires in a horrible spot. They not only have to decide whether the runner is safe or out, but did the catcher block the plate? He's going to have to make a million different decisions, and, and he's right. I mean, you got to figure out, okay, A, did he block the plate? I mean, A, you know, B, let's figure out whether he's safe or out. I mean, all these different things they have to worry about, it's kind of similar to what's going to happen possibly in the National Football League with the racial slur angle and and, and guys using racial slurs on the field. I mean, it's the same type of angle. I mean, these guys are human. You can't see or hear everything. So what do you expect from them? What do you expect from these guys? I mean, the rule, it it does seem confusing, and, and I think it's going to be, a situation where guys are going to have to get themselves acclimated and guys are going to have a hard time possibly figuring out what exactly can they do with this whole situation. And, you know, and maybe it could be interpreted different by different umpires around the league. It could be interpreted differently by umpires around the league. So this is going to be very interesting to see how this shakes out. This is going to be very interesting. And I'm wondering how this is going to play out. I'm wondering what this is going to look like. I'm trying to figure out what this is going to look like. And I haven't done that yet. And there are players who are confused by it. So if the players are confused and I'm confused, then don't you think the way it's going to be called could be confusing? I mean, you know, a lot of times, sometimes in, 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 in sports, you know, you get the sense that sometimes it becomes over-officiated. You know what I mean? Like, it becomes over-officiated. You can't – it's so over-officiated sometimes that you don't even know what is good and what is bad. You, you don't even know. I mean, you don't even know really what a, a, a legal hit looks like in the NFL. You really don't know it, and it's kind of confusing sometimes. You don't know it. You don't know it. So I, I, I think, you know, the NFL, baseball, they're, they're going to have to figure out what to do. They're going to have to figure out what to do with this new rule and, and figure out how to properly officiate it, how, how to properly make the calls. Should be interesting. When we come back, we're going to be joined by one of the members of the world champion Seattle Seahawks, 
Greg Scruggs. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean see anything in the playoffs, Tom. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was, trying to throw uh, you know you, I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around, too. I just yeah, don't know yeah, what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's that rock. <laughs> That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thank you. very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so- and we're back. And we're, we're going to bring in a guy right now who's, who's on cloud nine, celebrating, having a good old time. Um, he got a ring. His Seahawks got a ring, and they're celebrating and they're enjoying and they're having a good time. And this is a team that many believe you, is there a possibility of a dynasty in Seattle? <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Young football team, quarterback in place, defense big time. We shall see. Let's bring him in now. Defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks, Greg Scruggs. Greg, how we doing, man? How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm enjoying life right now, man. <laughs> I can see, I, can, I see, I hear, I can hear it in your voice. And let's talk about it. It's been about a month since winning the Super Bowl. Has it really set in that you actually won a Super Bowl, that you're a part of a Super Bowl winning team? Well, you know, it, I think part of it came, I think it showed up uh, a little bit after uh, after we won, I think it set in, and then it kind of went away for a little bit. So I think okay. it'll, I think it'll show itself again uh, once, um, once we get the rings. So okay. right now, I'm just kind of enjoying it. You know, it's like everybody tells me, everybody tells me, man, you won the Super Bowl, you won the Super Bowl, but I don't think it's quite set in all the way yet. Once I get my okay. Super Bowl ring, then I think it's like. You know, it's like wine. You get what I'm saying? It's like wine, man. It gets better with time. You know, it, okay. the more the more it sits with me, the sweeter it becomes. You know what okay. I'm saying? So um, that, that's where I am now. I think everybody's there. Let me ask you this. I, I know you were, you were on injured reserve with the torn ACL. Does that take any luster off, off, off of this Super Bowl? Does that mean anything to you? Does it make it uh, – bittersweet on some level? Well, I think if you're a competitor, it does. It absolutely does, man, because as a competitor, you want to be out there. You want to be competing. You want to put your stamp and lay your mark on this game. And um, I'm a big-time competitor. That's why I play football for a living. And There's some people who are okay with just being along for the ride. There's some people who enjoy that. But um, for me personally, um, I'm a dog, man, and I want to be out there eating. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I, I really I want to be out there eating. I want to be out there getting after it. So <clears throat> it does a little bit, but at the end of the day, I still contributed. 
You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I I was around the facility. I busted my butt to be a part of the team. I busted my butt to be around them to be to be a member of that team. So it, it takes away a little bit, but not all the way. You know okay. what I mean? At the end of the okay. day, I'll forever be in the history books. When you look down that roster, you always see my number, Dad Gummin, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> and I look at this team, and, and I want to go into the defense. And you guys faced the Broncos in the Super Bowl, a big-time offense, of course, Peyton Manning. And at the end of the day, it seemed like you guys were bigger, stronger, and faster. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I, I think what was different about our team is that we prepare every day and every week like we're not good enough. Okay. Um, and I think that contributes to a lot. You know, if you talk to guys around the league, you talk to different teams, hit a certain point in the season, their practice schedule begins to change. You know, take care of the bodies, rest the players, et cetera, et cetera. For us, up until the Super Bowl, we were doing one-on-one pass rush. We were doing one-on-one wide receiver versus DBs, which means that in our heads, we felt like we still had some work to do. And I think that contributes a lot to our mindset as a team. You know, I tell everybody that, you know, when we step onto the field, when we go to the practice field, those guys feel like they're not good enough. Not in a negative sense. It's like the drive that, that kicks us. You know, for me, I was just talking to Chris Clemens last night. I'm down here hanging out. I'm in Las Vegas. I'm with Clemens, and Big Red will be here today, and me, Bain, will be here. All my, We call them in the league. I call them my OGs, my veteran okay. guys. And Clem had to tell me yesterday, Scrubs, do not overdo it, man. Sit still. You know, that's how I told my ACL in the first place. I was going a million miles per hour during OTAs. Okay. But he's like, Scruggs, sit still. You know, be careful. But it's that mindset of, man, I'm not, I, God, dog, I, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I got to do more. I got to be stronger. I got to do more push-ups. Yesterday, I went, I went and worked out. I ran sprints. I ran DB times, and then I ran linebacker times. That's 310 pounds, okay? okay. And then after I, got done running those, after I got done running those times, I went in the sauna, and here I am in the sauna. I'm doing shoulder press, and I'm stretching, and I'm doing push-ups, and I'm doing body weight squats, and I'm doing more stretching, and I'm doing curls, and I'm doing tricep. I mean, it's like I can't stop working because my mindset is, and everybody's mindset is, man, we feel like we're not quite good enough. And okay. I think that shows on Sunday. When you see the, the product on that field, that's not somebody who just turned the on-off switch. Those are people out there like Cam Chancellor. That's, that's, who, that's who resonates with me. Those are people out there that he's a fifth-round draft pick who says, you told me I'm not good enough, I'll show you. I'll, I'll flat-out show you that I'm, I'm as good, either I'm as good as you thought I was or I'm twice as good as you thought I was. Whichever one it wants to be, I'll either verify or I'll either justify why I think <laughs> this way. You know what I mean? Right. So right. I think that's what you saw on during the Super Bowl. You know, nothing crazy, nothing, no, you know, not, not like, man, we just blew them out, we – completely destroyed them. It's not that. If you know our team, you know, man, we didn't play like we weren't playing like some guys who were arrogant or we weren't playing like that for no reason. We were playing like that because all week people told us how good Peyton Manning was. And once again, we were doubted. And once again, we went out there and we had to defy the odds. We had to face the adversity. We had to face the challenge and show people, listen, you doubt me again, I'll show you 
this is how we play. This is how I am. And if you get 22 guys individually thinking like that, man, I'm telling you, I am telling you, it is something special to watch. Sorry, I get carried away when I think about my teammates <laughs> and I think about the way we, we overcome adversity, man, the way we kind of just fight through stuff, man. It, it really is amazing, man. Now, I look at you guys now in this defense and what you did, and a lot of people are comparing you to the 2000 Ravens, the, the 85 Bears. In your mind, how does this defense stack up against the greatest defenses of all time, 85 Bears, 2000 Ravens? Well, I think, I think it has to be up there somewhere. It has to be compared. You know, it has to be in the conversation. It has to be in the talk. I think people look at our last few games and they kind of waver. It's the last few games of the regular season, they kind of waver. But let's not go just off this season alone. Let's go off the past three seasons. Look at the numbers. Statistically, top ten defense the past three seasons. I'm, I mean, that's on paper. You know what I mean? Look at the numbers. Statistically, top ten against the run the past three seasons. You know what I mean? That's on paper. We have. We have. Earl Thomas has been in the league four years, four-time Pro Bowler. Ken Chance was a fifth-round draft pick, two-time or three-time Pro Bowler. I think it's two-time. Richard Sherman, the, the, the best corner in the National Football League right now for the past two years. Un, I, in, in my mind, there's no argument and there's no dispute. You get what I'm saying? So, right. I mean, you, you, you look at it and you put all the factors in as far as our pass defense, our run defense, our overall defense, points allowed per game, yards allowed per game. You got to look at it and say, well, you know, I can see why. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you know, to be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not one, I'm not one to get caught up in the talking. So, I'm just speaking statistically. Okay. I don't know, man. Okay. If people want to put us in the conversation, we love it. We appreciate it. Speaking for the defense, I don't know, man. I just know that we love playing football. You know, I saw Cam Chancellor yesterday up at the facility, and it's like, I mean, you, the the it's almost like when you see, like, a long-lost girlfriend, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, <laughs> not saying Cam is my long-lost girlfriend, but, right, you know right. what I mean? It's like that sparkle, you know what I mean? That, that twinkle about you is like, man, like, daggone, I miss you, dude. Like, what's up, man? What's going on? How you doing? And you genuinely care about that because it's like, you feel so strongly about your teammates, on this team anyway. I understand different places is different, and they have different mindsets, and they go about their business different. But on this team, it's like, man, I love my teammates. You know what I mean? And um, they are who makes us. They are who make us who we are. And when you think about that and you put all that together, it's hard for me to sit here and say that my teammates don't deserve to be mentioned in the top of the, in the best of the best. It's hard. We're talking to Seahawks defensive end Greg Scruggs. And, Greg, obviously you won the Super Bowl. I got to know, man, how were the parties after winning the Super Bowl? <laughs> well, I, I went to one. I went to one. That was cool. I'm actually down here in um, Vegas right now. The whole defensive line came down. And, um, um you know, it's been pretty cool, man. We walked up last night when we walked into the building. They had like, uh, you know, the dancers holding uh, uh, holding Seahawks. They all had a letter, you know, over our table, and it was like, you know, flares going and you know, crazy stuff. So these are the only two I've been to, man. I, I'm not really a party. I'm a homebody, but 
Okay. I've heard some of the stories from some of my teammates, and apparently it's been unbelievable. <laughs> Everywhere they go, you know what I mean, it's like somebody's announcing that the Seahawks are in the building and wanting to take care of them, wanting them to have a great time, a great life. And sure. I'm at the Aria Hotel in Vegas, so I have to plug them. Aria's been great to me. They've treated me really well, man. It's the first time I've ever stayed in a penthouse in my life. So I shed a tear when I walked through the door, man, because I, I never thought I'd be here, man. I never thought I'd be able to do this, but this is pretty cool. So outside of that, man, um, I can't tell you much. I don't know, man. I haven't been to the parties. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, but the ones I have been to have been absolutely insane. La- you know, okay. last night was the first one. That was absolutely insane. And then uh, the one I went to back in Seattle was insane. But outside of those two, I haven't been out since. How's the ACL at this point? It's great, man. The, the knee is good. I can't wait to be going. You know, I, I put it <clears> – <throat> I like the term it is putting it through hell and back because I do. I, I put this thing through everything you can withstand to make sure that when it comes time for me to play football, there'll be no doubts, there'll be no questions. So um, it's good. It is good, and I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to get the ball rolling on it. You know, I can't wait to show people. I can't wait to go out there and get to play football again. It's been a long time since the last time <clears throat> I put my helmet on somebody. And sure. um, I like hitting people. I've grown <laughs> to love to hit people. And uh, I can't wait, man, to hear that first little click clack of the helmet inside my helmet, man. It's going to give me a headache. It always does. The first couple hits always give you headaches after a while. But um, I can't wait, man. I can't wait. So the knee's good. Now, now, Greg, I want to go back, go to one of your teammates, Richard Sherman. There's a, a perception of Richard Sherman out here, brash, cocky. Some even call him a thug. I, I don't believe in that, but that's just silly to me. But it is what it is. Who is Richard Sherman to you? Richard Sherman is a guy who's an underdog, and that's flat out that. You know, and um, before all of the crazy fame that's uh, that's come to him, I remember you know he was at a hundred and some thousand followers, and now he's at like eight hundred and something. <laughs> but before all this accumulated. Sherman was just a guy trying to make his name. He hasn't changed one bit. The people the people make him out to be something, but if they follow Sherman from the time he got into the NFL to this point, they'll realize, man, Sherman hasn't changed one bit. You know, last year but last year before the season, before all the talks, before all the fame, um, in 2012, his second year in the league, he's the same person, still dancing at practice, still talking at practice, still laughing, still joking still humble, still as smart, still as articulate. He's not putting on a show, you know. And I think that's what disgusts me the most about what people put on him, is that Sherman is a great guy. You know what I mean? It's like you want to make somebody who's a great guy, who's actually a great representative of your league, you want to make him out to be something terrible. You know what I mean? It's like you, sure. when you really think about it, what can you say about Sherman? Nothing. You can say, oh, he went on a rant. Okay, what cuss word did he use? Right. Who did he Who did he degrade? Because when you speak factually, that's not degrading. That's not. Exactly. When you speak factually, that's not degrading. So who did he degrade? Who did he embarrass? You well, know what I, I mean? The, I guess the only question is, I mean, he called Crabtree a mediocre receiver. Now, if, if yeah. you believe that's true, then it's true. Exactly. 
That's my point. If he feels that way, he feels that way. And if he feels right. like he's speaking factual, listen, he studied Crabtree much more than I did. He studied sure. Crabtree much more than any media outlet did. I guarantee you that. There's nobody who devoted their life to studying that receiver for a week's time. Nobody did. Outside of the people at the combine, there's nobody who devoted their life to watching every piece of game film that he ever put on tape. Nobody. So if that's the way that Sherm felt, that's the way he felt, period. You know, and I'll support him 100% because I can get on film and say, listen, this guy, that guy, I know guys specifically who's a pro bowler who I played against, and I'm like, this guy is terrible. Why is he, why is, why is he a pro bowler? I've watched every bit of film. I've watched this. i watched that. This guy is terrible. Okay? He's a pro bowler because he has a great name. You know what I mean? I've, I've done mm-hmm. that before. I won't say who because it's not my place. I'm, but you know what I mean? But it's like that's yeah, – I've done that before. I've seen that. I've looked at that before. So, you know, if that's the way he felt, that's the way he felt. But Sherm's done nothing to, to, to earn the title of arrogant. Right. How about confident? How about that? People have been looking for confidence. You know, can you imagine if um, if the early 90s Cowboys played in our day, what people would say about them? Right. Before How people Twitter. would freaking des- destroy them? You know what I mean? That was okay, though. You know what I mean? Go back, turn on the U. Turn on the U in the early right. 90s and watch everything that they do. But now, now it's just it's entertaining everybody. We love it. It's great. Those guys are great. Sharm's doing no different. But everybody wants to label him as such and such. Give call him this way or that way. He's done nothing ever. He's done nothing ever to embarrass the National Football League or embarrass his family. That rant was true passion. That's not embarrassing. That's what people ask for. They finally get it. They finally get something outside of the politically correct answer. And now everybody wants to complain about it. Exactly. You get what I'm saying? And, and that's exactly what that – that was the point I made. I mean, I, I thought, you know, at the end of the day, we want people to be truthful. In the moment that they're truthful, it's the moment that we rip them. So, you know, you right. can't have it both ways. You, know, you can't have it both ways. You, you can't win. Right. You can't win. So that's why we I – think, I think as football players, we've finally given up on the media. I think we're coming <laughs> to Asia. We've finally given up. You know what I mean? That's why, you know, Sean can do something like go to a – platform and he can sit there and he can give you one word answers. It's because you give up. You know? It's like, look, I can't win or lose with y'all. So you know what? I just won't. You know what? I'll do I'll, I'll do the absolute minimum. Point right. blank period. Here we go. You know what I'm saying? I like talking, man. I like talking about my team. I like talking <laughs> about my team, so I don't have a problem talking to media, but some guys aren't the same way. They don't care. For sure. You know what I mean? They, they could care less. So they could not care less. So. Now, now, Greg, we're talking to Greg Scruggs, Greg Scruggs, excuse me, defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, Greg, you captured a great portion of the Super Bowl with Google Glass, and you did some things with that. Talk about that experience. Oh, uh, man, thanks to everybody at Google. Um, they really made it happen for me. You know, as most people know, Google Glass aren't even out for sale yet. You know, it's, it's retail sale, it's all on the testing phases. So thanks to everybody at Google. Thanks to my marketing team at Dominant Pittman and um, my media team over at D2 Media. They're the ones who made it happen, man. And um, it was great. It was great, man. That Google Glass is a great way. 
I always, I did an interview the other day, and I said, man, I always think back to the days when Chad Johnson would post a video on YouTube or he would get on Ustream and he would have a thing with with him. I remember as a kid watching that stuff, how great it was to be so close to 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 kind of feel everything that he was feeling, see everything that he was seeing, see his house, right. see his natural interactions, see his natural emotions, and see people in their natural state. So that was cool for me to be able to bring that to the fans. And I think it's gotten a lot of – it's created a lot of a following. And I, and I enjoy that, you know, because I only get this for – you know, hopefully, you know, seven plus years, you know, seven, seven, eight, nine, ten years, however long the Lord allows me to play football. So while I'm here, I want as many people to experience that as I do. I can't give it to everybody. I literally can't physically give it to everybody. The best thing I can do is to, um, you know, just kind of um, portray life through my eyes, through the Google Glass. So I think it's a, it's a great, 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 step in technology. I think it is the way of the future. It also has a range finder for when I go to play hold, play golf. I can see how far away I am from the pan. So, I mean, it's great. It's great. And that, that, that experience was great. And once again, I'm, thank, I'm so thankful for everybody who, you know, I, I was a kid in marching band in high school. I never thought I'd be able to do some of the stuff I'm doing. To go from a kid in March of being in high school who just wanted to get in college to being a, a trial guy for things such as the Google Glass and, you know, I don't want to brag on this. This is more so just proud, but staying in a freaking penthouse, I mean, good grief. If you can see this thing, I'm like I'm like a kid in the candy store. I don't act like somebody who expects this. I don't. Some people, they come in here, they act like they expect this. I've been flickering this light switch on and off all morning. Because because it's like it's the coolest thing in the world to me. You know what I'm saying? So, man, it, you know the Google the Google Glass and everything else, man, is is great. And I want everybody to see this. I want everybody to kind of share these experiences with me. That way, somebody can vouch to my grandkids that I actually did this stuff, man. I don't have, I don't have to tell myths. You know what I mean? So I, the world can vouch that I actually did this stuff. So it's pretty cool. Google Glass helps me. Solidify that story. <laughs> now, 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 real quickly. Now, Pete Carroll, you talked about you know how you guys, you're always working hard. You always have that chip on your shoulder. You're always out to prove something. You're always out to ultimately get it done. Talk about Pete Carroll, what he brings to the table as a coach, and how he's set up the environment that you guys have in Seattle. Well, you know, I think it, he makes it so that it's easy to come to practice. That's first and foremost, and then. You know, he, he allows you to be yourself, and I think a lot of people do. A lot of people understand that. One of the reasons it's easy to be yourself because he is himself. I mean, everybody, anybody who knows Pete, anybody who sees Pete, they can see, man, Pete, you know, he chucks footballs at, at a bat, trying to make him into a basketball hoop at the beginning of the practice. Not for entertainment purposes, because that's who he is. He likes to mm-hmm. be a kid. He likes to try and make a football into a basketball hoop. So, I mean, that's just one example, one of the many examples of how you let you be yourself. And um, when you're allowed to be yourself, man, it's hard. It is really, really hard to be away from that. It is hard not to kind of have fun with that. You get what I'm saying? So, um, um, I think that's that's the environment that's created, is that we just, we enjoy um, playing. And we enjoy being ourselves and being able to be ourselves while we're doing it. 
Now, also, Greg, there is uh, it's being talked about that there is a possibility that players will be penalized for using racial slurs like the N word on the field of play. Your thoughts on that? To me, it seems like it's almost impossible to legislate, and to me, it seems like it's the over legislation of the NFL. But in your opinion, you've been on the field, you you know firsthand. Is this doable? I mean, what, what's your thoughts on this possible uh, uh, rule? <clears throat> I'll, give, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. Okay, this is how it feels the NFL players. Okay, anybody who works under you or works for you or works with you, imagine telling them when they go home, no eating salad. Do you hear me? No eating salad when you go home, point blank period. So they'd be like, what? Okay, now you're doing too much. Listen, I'm telling you, if I catch you eating salad, you're fired when you go home. <laughs> if I catch you eating salad at home, you're fired. That's exactly how it feels. <laughs> right. You get what I'm saying? It's uh, like, exactly. You're going to you're gonna do what? Oh, come on now. Listen, regulate the NFL, okay? Regulate the NFL. All right, that's all we're asking you to do, okay? You may twice, three times, ten times, 20 times as much money as some of the players who you're working for or who you work over, okay? We don't need you to do anything else to run the NFL. Thank you. Right. Please and thank you. Make sure, <laughs> make sure that we're safe. Make sure that contract negotiations are well. Make sure that the NFL has a good image. Outside of that, leave us alone, okay? Because you know what? How many times on TV do you hear the inbox? Exactly. How many times do you hear somebody on the field throwing out the inbox? You don't hear. Now, for somebody like me, and I can speak personally, for somebody like me, where I grew up, the neighborhood I grew up in, it is prominent, man. That's, it's second nature to use the word. It is. Fortunately enough, I was able to get out of that, so I've been able to replace that word with different things in my vocabulary. But there's some people who aren't like me. For and sure. it's natural. It's not degrading at all. It is natural. You know what I mean? And I understand all the people who've gone through tough times, all the people who've been back, who were alive back back in the, the 60s, during the civil rights days and the 50s and things like that. I completely understand what their point, their point of view. But they have to understand, we did not groom ourselves. We did not teach ourselves this word. We didn't. People talk right. to us. So it is what it is. As much as you may want to remove it, it is what it is, and people have ingrained this in us. So from the time I was a kid, everybody I was around used this word. So it was natural for me to use that word until I started going to Catholic schools, and then everybody else around it wasn't kind of, you know what I mean? It wasn't kind of, it didn't kind of flow the same. You get what I'm saying? It kind of right. I, I, didn't I go really well. You know what I mean? But you get what I'm saying? So I think I it's, I think it's, I think it's a terrible idea. I really do. I honestly do, and I think I'm in, I think I'm in agreement with a lot of. The you know pros, the writers, everybody else. When I say that, it's that man, leave us alone. Good grief! Can we just play football? Let me let me say this. I want to play devil's advocate for a moment. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you are working for the National Football League, and you know it's one thing to talk and, and call people the N word when you're at your house, when you're at a party, when you're doing what you do off the field. It's another thing to to call somebody the N-word at the quote-unquote workplace. So can you understand it from that perspective? Well, I think think that's where you're mistaken, though. 
this is what this is what you separated. This is you know, and I know you're playing devil's advocate, but for anybody who has that mindset, this is where they mess up. They separate doing what we do. They say, okay. like you said, when you're at home doing what you do, playing football is what we do. To us, playing football is not some corporate entity. The okay. NFL is not that. Playing football is still a game. You know what I mean? Like, sure, it's a job. Sure, it's a business. Sure, it's a workplace. But at the end of the day, you know what? I play football. I don't think twice about contract negotiations when I'm on the practice field. Right. I don't think twice about how much money I'm going to make this year when I'm on the practice field. I don't think twice about that stuff when I'm playing the game because I'm playing football. I'm in my natural element. You mm. know what I mean? <clears throat> one of the greatest people who has a, the, the, one of the people who has the greatest perspective on this is one of my teammates, and I won't say his name because I know he doesn't care to have his name said. But he says, listen, you all put these cameras in front of me. I've been doing this since I was six. Not me, <laughs> but him. I've been right. doing this since I was six. Y'all decided to add the cameras. Y'all decided to add the microphones. You all tried to build your brand and do this. He said, so I'm supposed to change who I am because y'all want me to? Absolutely not. I'm still going to do right. the same things that I was doing that allowed me to enjoy this game and have fun. And if that was if that was incorporating the N-word into your everyday language while you're playing football, then that's what it was to some people. But let me just, let me just, let me just, so Greg, um, we all have to conform. You know what I mean? We, we all have to conform. We can't be who we are 24-7. I mean, for, for right. both of us, and for eight hours a day or however you want to put it, we have to be a, a different person. We can't be who we are at home. We can't be who right. we are, you know, in our neighborhood. But you understand what I'm saying? No, I get that. But let me, let me let, I, I say this, though. You know how many people are in the NFL? 1,600. You know how many people are in the world? Like 32 billion. <laughs> right. So for those 1,600 people, if they don't have a problem with it, who cares what the other 31 billion people think or 32 okay. point whatever billion people think? As long as those 1,600 people who are actually involved in it, if you don't like it, turn off the TV. <laughs> and that's you know not what I'm saying? You don't, pay, you don't pay my bills. Not you personally, but you get what I'm saying? We love fans. We do. And I think there's some fans who, like, let the guys play. Let them play, let them play ball. But you don't pay my bills. You know what I'm saying? Paul Allen, my owner, my owner, the, the guy who cuts my check, he got paid. He made his money elsewhere. <laughs> sure, this is a great investment for him, and people tuning in and advertising the Seahawks, it's all great for him, but he made his money elsewhere. So you don't pay my bills. Turn off the TV. They, you go, you not, literally pay, not, literally, not literally pay your bills, but on some level, if you're, you're you know, going to games and buying merchandise and things of that nature, on some level, you know, indirectly, you kind of do pay your bills. You know what I mean? Well, you know, that, that's, all, that's all debatable. See, that's why I say <laughs> that, you know. Paul Allen was a billionaire before he bought the Seahawks, before they started generating revenue for him. Right. You get, you get what I'm saying? Definitely. So that's, that's the level I look at. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to turn into somebody who hates fans. I don't. Anybody who knows me knows I love fans, and I appreciate everything they do. I appreciate them selling out the stadium, especially the 12th man. The 12th man are unbelievable. I love what they do. But I just think that you start dibbling and dabbling in my life, let me dibble and dabble in your life, see how much you like it. You know what I mean? It's like right. if somebody's comfortable doing that, 
as long as he's not offending the person who he, as long as he's not offending the person who he's talking to, or he's not only he's not offending his quote unquote coworkers, if if you want to make it a corporate environment, I think it's. I, I mean, I don't. I just don't see the need to to police it. Yeah, I think right. it's just one more thing that you're policing that you really don't need to. You know what I mean? I do. It's like it's. I, it's, 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 I, it's, it's, I just. I, I don't. I don't. I don't see the need for it, man. Let 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 us play football. Now I'm not. I'm not one to be out there and be dropping the bomb left and right because I'm sarcastic sure. and I'm witty. So I'll tell you the shreds without using the cuss word. You know what I'm <laughs> but there's other people, like I said, man. Just from their natural environment, their natural habitat, they've been used to this for 21 years because they're not policing it in college. Hell, I had refs say it to me in college. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Okay. They're not policing it in college. So you're going to tell a guy, listen, for 21 years of his life, let's talk about the upcoming rookie class. For 21 years of his life, it's innate, it's ingrained in him to do this. And then all of a sudden you want him to change. Okay, imagine if you were a chain smoker, and then I told you, look, when you get to the job, you're going to stop smoking. Point blank period. You've been doing this for 40 years. You've been doing this for 27 years. But listen, when you get here, you're going to stop smoking. It's like, what? Right. Well, this is natural. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like, it's become habit. It's become routine. You know, smokers smoke just out of out of routine. They may not even have a theme for a cigarette or nicotine, but out of habit and routine, they just put a cigarette in their mouth and start smoking. You get what I'm right. saying? So, it's right. just, so some people who grew up like this, that's the way they are. It is. And I just, now, I don't know. Real quickly, Greg, we got to get going. Real quickly. Your Twitter, your website, where can fans connect with you? Man, fans can always find me on G underscore Scrubs uh, at Twitter um, and okay. on G Scrubs on Instagram. And my website, my brand-new website, is called gscrubs.com. That's it, just flat out, gscrubs.com. Go check it out. I got my Google Glass videos. Go see the life of the Super Bowl through my eyes. Read about blog entries through my eyes. Hear all these different things. Hear all these different things. My website is for no other reason than for people to get to know me. So gscrubs.com, gscrubs.com, g underscore scrubs. Tweet me. If you don't like something I said today, tweet me. I'll always <laughs> tweet back. You know what I mean? And uh, and then gscrubs on Instagram, you know, and uh, through my Twitter and everything else. You can find my Snapchat. And I, don't, I don't have a kick, but. You know, everything else. I love interacting with fans, so I highly encourage people. You know, if there's something that you didn't like I said today, come tweet me. I run my Twitter. I run I, I run my website. So if people, you know, got have thoughts, feel free. Shoot me a tweet. I might not respond if I don't like it, but if I'm up for some discussion sitting by the pool uh, drinking my, um, you know, Water. martini. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll. I'll have some discussion with you. You know, hey, I won the Super Bowl, man. A martini is acceptable right now. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> I hear you. Um, Greg, pl- so, pleasure talking to yeah. you, man. Look forward to doing it's it again great. down the line. Take care. Yeah. All right, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks. Greg Scruggs. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgn, where you can listen to this show. Another great show. Follow us on Twitter at Go For It Again. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.